0: People need ordering
1: Twelve rules Hello, welcome to Twelve Rules for What? A new podcast on the far right from the perspective of the far left. Today we're talking about Tommy Robinson, and it's gonna be in two parts. The first part is gonna be just us talking, me and Alex in the studio. And then we're gonna be joined, or Alex is gonna be joined a bit later with by some people from London anti-fascists London anti-fascists who are going to be talking a bit more kind of yeah about Tony Robertson's political significance in this first section though we're going to be talking i think about some recent events that Tony Robertson has been kind of caught up in um and also about his kind of propaganda style and the way in which that has been uh, useful to him and also the way in which it's kind of like led to his downfall In well not his downfall it'd be you know huge uh, exaggeration to say that Tony Robertson is gone from the public eye but he's uh, of late in the last kind of week or so right
0: hey, our boys had a wild week a wild few months um just the other week he was finally banned from facebook and instagram which to put that in perspective his is his biggest social media platform uh, when he got banned he had about just under a million likes and over a million followers, and his posts were regularly getting over ten thousand shares, um, which is a very significant reach. Um, he was his his videos, his live streams, his videos were building up, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of views, many, many comments, reactions, and to have this taken away is undoubtedly a massive blow to
1: him. Kind of social media presence that Twelve Rules for What can only dream of. But, which is a possibility if you go and follow us... On Twitter. On Twitter, yeah. yeah. Well, we do have a follow... Uh, we have, we have about,
0: a- like, nearly 100, so we've got a little way yeah, to go before yeah. we get to, like, Tommy's, like, heights. But... Hopefully you know. it won't be take- suddenly taken away from us. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, like, an interesting thing about the, the... I mean, obviously it's an objectively a good thing that this happened, but... At the same time, we don't want to be, like, defending Facebook or defending YouTube or Twitter. Um, I'm assuming, obviously, that YouTube are going to take away its platform eventually. Um, because we don't want these big corporations to have, like, a power of censorship over us. There is already campaigns, particularly around um, you know, drill music. Um, which is banned unilaterally off Facebook and which uh, certain orders are, are put in place that they can't put music videos on YouTube, they can't make a living on YouTube, uh, put by the police and in conjunction with YouTube. Um, and so we need to take a quite, and need to take a quite a careful line on this because we don't want to be going to bat for Facebook. They are objectively the bad guys. Um, and yet at the same time, it is a good thing that he was banned. Um, and it is about drawing that, drawing a distinction. Um and making Tommy someone who is like uniquely um, um a, an ideal target to be repressed. Because ultimately that's what that's what anti fascists want. Um we want to deny him his platform. Um but we need to like divorce that from the general policy, the power that Facebook has over our public conversation and our like creative expression.
1: Maybe it's kind of like a general question for like the anti-fascism in the the era of kind of big platform broadcasting things. But do you think that the anti-fascist argument um, against collaboration with the state, which is basically exactly what you were saying, that this state, when given any kind of tools, will kind of turn around from using them against fascists to use them against anti-fascists and people on the left as well. Does that same exact argument apply in the case of other kinds of things that are able to legislate or censor speech? Like Facebook and YouTube,
0: is there a real equivalence here? I think it's an interesting question, and I know there's no doubt that a lot of these multinational tech companies have uh, much more power over certain ways we communicate than the state ever ever could dream of. Um, so far, this hasn't happened, and mainly because um, as as like big companies with big public profiles, that kind of get very hurt like materially when there's a campaign against them. Um, just look at all the allegations they're on Facebook this past year Facebook has a terrible year they are changing they're trying to change I don't think it's going to be enough ultimately to change that image but um, there is a certain leverage that we have in like the public sphere that that doesn't really apply to the state in the same way like the state can be there there are extra steps you need to take to make the state pay attention Um, but I do think it's I do think it's an interesting question it's it's one that we haven't anti fascists haven't really grappled with um, on, it is interesting thinking back to, like, for example, like the nineteen seventies. It really was the state that was like pushing um, the National Front uh, into these communities and into halls to facilitate them having their meeting. There was no like, there wasn't really like a you know like a, a hostile state to the National Front. Really, um, the police were understandably sympathetic. Um, so, but we're not really seeing that facilitation. Um, Facebook had Tommy Robinson on their platform because he made them a lot of money. He got them a lot of views and he, he made a lot of people see a lot of advertising. And that's why he stayed for so long. Um, but eventually the calculation changed. I mean, it, it, can, it can change very quickly. Um, this is. I think this conversation is quite... Like an interesting one to have because uh, Tommy has fled to his last remaining platform, which I said was YouTube. Yeah. Um, and on a live stream like last week or so, I don't know when this is going to go out, um, said, you know, he's going to have a demonstration outside Facebook headquarters in London. Um, which is where? Which is where? Which is on uh, Euston, near Euston Station, on Warren Street, yeah, near around, it's quite near the RMT uh, headquarters. um and th- this follows into like a, a re- like a, this is like a, Tommy's classic Emma. He when he got banned from Twitter, there was a demonstration at Twitter headquarters. Yep. Uh, when he went to prison, there was protests about freeing Tommy, and it's an interesting kind of corner that he's put himself in. He, he kind of uh, has has made himself. It made his activism into kind of meta-political activism in that he makes it all about himself and his trials and his tribulations, ultimately to, like, milk a lot of money out of his, yeah. like, fan base. Um, and he, and he very rarely does talk about, you know, the actual substance of what his politics are, which are, to be clear, like, mad, <laughs> like, conspiracy-riddled Islami- Islam- Islamophobic, like, like uh, nonsense. Um he is very much bought into and he doesn't say this particularly, a lot of his power comes from like a certain ambiguity. Um, and he, he has had this ever since he left the EDL. And he's this is what makes him such a like a kind of fickle kind mm-hmm. of, uh, such like a, a flighty opponent, as it were, because you can't pin him down. Like one one ta- one like one week he's like uh, the leader of the EDL and making these big inflammatory speeches and leading mass markets. And then he kind of renounces the EDL. He doesn't renounce his politics, but he renounces the EDL. And then he moves on to Pagiga, doesn't work, and he, and he finds his kind of like niche as like a citizen journalist, YouTuber, um, kind of like shock jock kind of figure. And he's found this kind of perfect platform. He doesn't want to be pinned to a movement because then all the kind of crazies can be tied to him. And so he kind of floats above it. So, what was I talking about? Generation identity. He very much subscribes to those politics. Last year, he met Martin Selner. They have post photos together, like talking in his like aforementioned YouTube live stream. He very—it was almost so quick you could miss it—but he mentioned uh, remigration, the Great Replacement, all these generational identity, identitarian buzzwords. He's clearly on board, but he—he he doesn't say it. He always talks about himself, and that's an interesting one because because like. I've noticed kind of a thing in the in the in the past year of like of anti-fascists opposing Tommy Robinson is that they make it all about Tommy as well. Like the hashtag is not like stop fascism or you know it's it's, it's stop Tommy, um, and I think that's a that's a really interesting interesting thing because he plays off kind of like a, a, a the, he plays off the, the you know the personalised parasocial relationship you can make with people online, and he he he's kind of like spun that into. A movement that's not really a
1: movement. It's a, like an audience almost. Should we talk about a bit more kind of how exactly we think that he does that? How exactly it is that he manages to establish and maintain such like an intense, effective connection with you know thousands, maybe like hundreds of thousands of people uh, and has done over the course increasingly of maybe the last kind of few years. You see people him kind of turning up at rallies um, which are mostly filled uh, with kind of like people are just kind of milling around standing and there are these videos that you see in the kind of live streams of when he's arriving there is suddenly this sense of presence that, that, that something has arrived that is absolutely exhilarating for the people who are there and he completely um, kind of focalizes the space everyone turns to see him everyone turns to, and all activity kind of buzzes around him and the, the the people who he goes to meet have this kind of really intense like enjoyment of his presence and I wonder like how you think it is that Tom Robertson has managed to um, construct that through his propaganda like what precisely is he doing in these videos what precisely is he doing by constructing himself on a, in a particular way on Facebook particularly on Instagram particularly on YouTube in order to generate this intensity of effective relationships with his audience so
0: I think much um, like like much like Donald Trump did in America, he's very much like uh, he's very much uh, taken on like a 20 20th century like mantle of celebrity and stardom but for a very specific audience which is really interesting for like he is a i I, I can't remember the exact stat off my head but he is one of the most well-known figures uh, in the UK i mean he's like about 55% of people like he has like 55% name recognition which is for like any like public figure is enormous. It's huge, um, and so like a lot of people have already made their mind up, and he's got like maybe I, I would say probably about ten percent of the the population in the UK maybe as high as that um, have some kind of positive feelings towards him, and everyone else absolutely hates him, and there's no there's no two ways about it. But he's very much mind like uh, mind that kind of ten percent. Um, you talked about propaganda and I think there's there's clear like deliberate narratives that he's weaving there's the narrative of grievance he's always under attack he was under attack when he was in the EDL he was under attack when you know he was like fighting battles with uh, like Muslim extremists Um, he was under attack from the fake news media Uh, he was you know under attack from the state from the establishment that whole free Tommy movement was him as a victim uh, as quite a you know like a a kind of a passive figure in the background, like these people could project themselves onto. Um, There's also like the us versus them uh, thing that is going on. And also like, he like kind of bears all to these people. Like he like was quite happy to to reference his children and have his children cameo in videos. He'll like film himself saying stupid shit when he's drunk or or high on cocaine. He'll like, uh, he'll, you know... He's quite happy to, like, film himself in a very unflattering light. Yeah. There's these, like, very personalised
1: touches. He's, like, kind of, like, the bearing of a life to, to form this, like, very intense bond. So these are the ways in which I think, actually, there's a real distinction going on between what Tony Robertson does as a collection of tactics for seducing an audience and what you might find in, like, a 20th century celebrity. So, for example, um, I mean, the most kind of, like, absurd example here is, of course, uh, the cult of personalities around, say, like Mao, Stalin, Hitler and their respective totalitarian regimes. And so in those examples, what is what always happens is that there is nothing, as you say, no life is kind of like shown, no life is put on display, but only a collection of kind of infinitely kind of radiant, um, uh, I guess, like magnanimous and like, brilliant decisions are kind of filtered down or radiate down from the top or in some way um, even when you're kind of toiling away in the factory or uh, wherever it is you're you're toiling that person is still there with you so it's that second sense that second sense that Tony Robertson is always kind of there with you that seems to really hang over from the 20th century and yet all of the sense of kind of perfection all of the sense of cleanliness all of the sense of um, genius is actually deliberately dispensed with and deliberately lost. Well,
0: I, I agree with that to some extent. I think uh, when I said 20th century, I was thinking more of like the National Enquirer, like Heat magazine. You know, like these 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 publications have symbiotic relationships with their subjects. Um, they like feed each other, um, and I, I think that's what I was kind of getting at. I, I do agree that he is he has managed to like balance the contradiction of being a. A really wealthy person, multimillionaire landlord, and 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 frame and still frame himself as working class, and still and, and still and, and in that way his followers identify. In fact, he, he's taken on much of like the identity politics that he said so um the working class identity politics.
1: Um, but but it's but the thing is that I, I think there's also a distinction there between like a working class politics that might have been active in the fifties and sixties and maybe even the seventies. In distinction to something like a, a working class poly- identity that is like more present through the eighties and nineties, right? There's a there's a big distinction there. Um, one is about collective being, and the other one is about um, business acumen and uh, kind of business.
0: Yeah, like a like a, a working class boy made good. Somehow like- the make the working class boy like ameliorates the making good. Of course, it doesn't. Um,
1: can I can I can I just suggest one more? I mean, so. What's kind of interesting about this, like long-term, this strategy of being continually kind of downtrodden, um, is that in some ways the ways in which Tom Robinson is downtrodden are quite real and quite material, right? It kind of does matter that he is vilified by, whatever you suggested it was, kind of forty percent of the population who the knows cathedral. What he is we will come to the cathedral i think maybe in like in a four or five episodes time he is he is very much vilified and it, it is kind of true that he is continually being stripped of his power and so his narrative of like continual decline although it is obviously quite cynically deployed um the most cynical moment of which was for example him being released from prison and the video he posted the live stream he posted of um his children coming in and seeing him for the first time after he was released from prison uh which is a kind of horrifying truly terrifying job. like truly like an kind of awful uh, video to post to kind of manipulate the feelings of his children like that but also um, uh, and to do it for you know, kind of uh, political purpose I just wonder that maybe he in some actually quite real sense he is continually losing
0: um, you don't think so I think there's a bit of both I think it's true He he got banned off PayPal last year he must have taken a huge hit from that there's Paypal is basically universal um, and I'm sure he's taking taking losses um, but at the same time there's it's also what he doesn't talk about. He'd never ever mentioned the tens of thousands of pounds that he got from the Middle East Forum, which is a far right uh, Zionist American think tank. Um, he never he never like mentioned the like five thousand pounds a month he was on for rebel media. These things don't get mentioned. And I, I, I'm I'm presuming he 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 and he doesn't talk about the like kind of international like flood of money that's coming to him. To him personally, not to an organisation, just to, to his bank account. Like Tommy Robinson lives in a really nice house in Bedford Shire and he, you know, he's gonna be he's gonna be alright for the rest of his life. Yeah. Unless he like buys all the cocaine in the world. Um so there is, and there is, there is truth. He's slowly losing his platform. He's there is. It's going to be so difficult for him to make, to keep, to maintain that effective relationship through the medium of email blasts, or through the me, through the medium of um, like his own video website. But okay. the thing is, this kind of like. Uh, transience to his presence to his online presence now it's going to be a massive hit yeah no there's no no longer be going to be disaffected people dragged into his whirlpool mm. his facebook page because it's not there there's no way to get it the only way you can get through is by uh breaking facebook terms of service which will get reported immediately and you'll get him banned or through appearances on other people's channels which is simply not good enough
1: um, i just want to come back a bit to this kind of notion that tom Robinson is kind of there with you all the time and there is a there is a real kind of truth to that in the way that like the the live stream as a kind of form allows this to happen. Um, Tony Robinson is somewhere out there um, in the UK, uh, outside Leeds Crown Court, for example, where he got um, the video that he got him eventually arrested, and in the video in which he is indeed arrested in the video, uh, which is a very strange anticlimactic ending um, to the whole video if you've uh, if you've seen it. And you are also somewhere in this same landscape. And so you kind of occupy, it's it's not that um, like with kind of 20th century propaganda or most propaganda from before that, certainly, whereby something is being broadcast from kind of outside your sphere, from kind of outside your world, but it is something someone is talking very much to you, very like directly in the world. And the way he holds the camera, things like this, kind of details like this, allow him to construct certain kinds of relationships between the audience and what is going on. So, in, for example, in that one where he's looking he's outside the Leeds Crown Court. Even though he's talking about people going into the courts, you do see them occasionally, which is one of the reasons why he got, um, I guess, banned. Uh, well, he got arrested because uh, it was illegal to show, uh, to yeah, to publicly reveal who they were. Um, but almost all of the rest of the time, he keeps the camera very firmly, kind of pinned to himself. He talks to people. He talks to the police who are arresting him, but you never see them. And so the entire world becomes kind of mediated through Tommy Robinson. You kind of become Tony Robertson, but you never like really kind of properly occupy that position. He's just this kind of like uh, thing giving you the information. Oh, there's this um, really interesting moment where, of course, he can't reveal um, in this court case that he's outside. He can't reveal the verdicts um, because there's a, there's a ban on revealing the verdict. Yeah. So there are several right. cohorts yeah. of, of defendants. Yeah. I think it's not possible to reveal the ban, uh, reveal the verdicts until the last cohort has been tried. Right. right. Yeah. And so. He tells you, um, of course, I will know. And he kind of winks. But I'm not going to tell you what it is that the verdict is. But of course, you, you know from this that he thinks it's absolutely going to be guilty. And you know that if he doesn't kind of like you know, say otherwise, then you can assume that it's guilt. And so these kind of winks, very literally, and nudges, and the way in which he kind of keeps information to himself. And he is kind of the keeper of all the, all the ideas. And he kind of very slowly gives them out to you gives them out to you through his presence. This is a really effective and really kind of interesting propagandistic mode.
0: It's interesting, it's got its strengths, and it's, got its, it's got its kind of problems as well. Um, it's strong in that he has got genuine like power to inflict harm uh, through this Facebook page, which he now doesn't have. Um, for example, one of the, I presume, last instigating posts for Facebook was him posting like a, a poster of a, a, a sexual assault survivor charity for BME people. And he was like, oh, so we don't care about white women getting raped, question mark, or something like that. And this helpline that was to help victims of sexual assault immediately get flooded by a lot of abuse uh, from his fans. This is like a genuine power that he kind of like assumes a kind of naivete about. Like he can never acknowledge this because then he has to acknowledge, you know, like that his actions have consequences. And so... Uh, And therefore he's a bad person for like inflicting this on people. Um, So that's interesting. He has this power. Um, But also it's a weakness because he's creating an audience, not a movement, which I think is like a kind of interesting way to think about the the big rallies. People have a direct connection to one individual, to Tommy. Um, But they're not making the connections between each other beyond their like friend groups and family groups. And so, unlike, for example, the BMP, which organised itself into branches and did like electioneering and leafleting and and tried to like form a, had festivals and tried to form effective bonds between its members, same for the National Front and in many far right fascist, building like kind of a fascist feeling of like forwardness and action is is often integral to fascist politics. Instead of that, people are getting a We're with Tommy?" because we like Tommy, and there's nothing. K- in between us there's no f- higher purpose for our for our collective activity um and i think there is going to be his downfall his youtube is a third of what his facebook page was and the way youtube algorithms work he will probably get more views on his live streams because it's youtube alg- algorithm is famously uh tends towards the extreme for its uh recommends um but beyond that and once that's gone He's he
1: can't maintain that bond, and they will move on or they will forget. Do you think the narrative? So you know? people talk how, or have talked in the past about uh, kind of process of radicalization of people joining big groups, for example, the of kind of I guess fears around the football ads alliance, um, its kind of mass demonstrations was that in some way these would turn from being kind of you know a small core, maybe a few hundred, maybe a thousand really hardcore right wingers who had managed to attract somehow. Fifty thousand people who, you know, thought the terrorism was bad, um, but it didn't have any kind of political expression beyond that. And that what would happen—the kind of big fear—was that these thousand people would somehow manage to like seriously radicalize. You know, some uh, substantial portion of these fifty thousand. You're saying that that's probably not going to happen, or probably not going to occur with Tony Robinson—that he doesn't produce kind of mass movement. I think it is going to happen, but I think it's going to happen. Uh, on a much more individual
0: basis so if you think about for example darren osborne who committed a horrific terrorist attack um on finsbury park mosque you know he had tommy robinson's tweets sellotaped to his dashboard of his van that he then drove into a crowd of of worshippers that's truly terrifying um and obviously tommy cannot like can never mention this this is like you know a truly like a, a damaging thing to him um but i think it's these kind of like this is the danger that he's the free tommy and and his audience comes from is that there's very few there's a very small number of people very willing to, to ape a, like kind of isis radical kind of mode of attack against western against, that's usually directed against like you know the west western institutions directed towards muslims um i think that's that's a danger much less that it's going to birth some kind of movement um yeah. and i'm not saying that's any less like kind of terrifying it's truly terrifying in fact it's much harder to grapple with because it's much easier to break up a party or like smash a movement like you know, the a&l and rock against racism did it in the late 70s to the national front uh national front had you know membership of around forty thousand, and got was getting like regularly getting Thirty, like a lot, like a big percentage. I can't remember exactly of the elections, and then within a few years they were getting very few, and their pie went down to like three thousand. Um. So, but it's much harder to like get into one person and say
1: uh, and try and intervene in, in in the same way. Um. I guess it's possible to think about uh, Tony Robinson as not so much kind of radicalizing people, as um, focalizing them, like kind of making their, I guess fairly disparate kind of neuroses we might come on to talk about the function of neurosis uh the function of kind of like private pain uh in the later episode on fascism maybe neo-fascism i guess there's one way of thinking about it as radicalization which is then it becomes explicitly about a political aim and another way of thinking about it is kind of focalization where it becomes just a way of concentrating of just kind of orienting these neuroses towards something vaguely in a more coherent direction like vaguely towards Muslims vaguely towards this kind of thing and of course in some people like for in this case in the guy you mentioned um, in his case that focalization happens to such an extreme that he becomes um, you know properly radicalized in a kind of quite traditional way but it's also possible that this will happen on a mass scale for what was it you said before 10 percent of the population? And nevertheless, over time, over the course of kind of a few years, after Tony Robertson has kind of been somehow taken out of the public sphere, these kind of neuroses will um, drift back into their kind of like uh, randomised state. And so I think, yeah, that lack of institutional clarity, that lack of institutional form will be a really long term problem. But. It's not a problem A problem in anything like kind of medium term, anything over the course of several years, where the, his influence on um, pretty normal people, right, uh, is nevertheless disastrous.
0: I think it's always re- important to remember, and I think this, this your point kind of illustrates that, is like a lot of these people are up for grabs for the left. And in many ways, they're the left's natural kind of constituency. Um, you know, disaffected people who don't have jobs are like so very much suffering under like, the present conditions of austerity. Um, their, ex- their expressions have been directed in a certain way, like you said, but really we should be talking to them and challenging them and winning them round. Like I refuse to, there's a very few people I will just condemn to like racist hell. and banish them there for all eternity because that's fundamentally not not how I believe we should do our justice, do our justice in this country. I don't think believe we should, that's how we we should conceive of like, kind of like acts of like kind of condemnation. Um, Everyone, almost everyone is rescuable in my opinion. Um, And I think that's very important to keep in mind um, that a lot of these people are looking for an answer and he's the one giving it to them.
1: And... Do you think that means something like a left version of Tony Robertson, like a left propaganda? Well, it's interesting to think about the left has always shied away from
0: having a certain part of the left has always shied away from having celebrity figures or like, uh, you know, people to like
1: coalesce the big, around. The really big news in Tony Robertson propaganda news is panadrama.
0: Panadrama. Hashtag panadrama. <laughs> uh, and I I think uh this episode kind of neatly encapsulates a lot of what we've been talking about uh basically tommy found out through his various kind of allies and friends and some of his enemies even that um uh, panorama were making an expose of him and so he decided to expose the expose uh and make his own film called Panorama. and if you watch the whole thing i have it's an hour of my life that happened um it's so it's a it's a really interesting like kind of a, like coagulation of his like techniques and his like with the way he does propaganda. What he actually has in this documentary is incredibly flimsy. Uh he has and I, I can list them on my hand on one hand. Uh an accusation of sexual assault. Alex has
1: a normal number of fingers, if that's like uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: uh an an accusation of sexual assault against a researcher who was working with panorama it's not working for panorama working with panorama for an organization called Hub not Hit. um or we'll leaving aside the merits of that accusation um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cast judgment one way or the other um he has the presenter of the program using the word honky which uh tommy Robbins said is a it's a racist slur to, towards white people um He has uh, John Sweeney using an actually quite bad homophobic slur. Um, And he has John Sweeney ordering a lot of alcohol when he meets uh, one of the contributors, fake contributors to the programme. He also uh, played a bit of a, you know, punked, you've been framed kind of prank. You've been framed? He played a kind of prank on, uh, uh, on Sweeney by, like, faking a text to another person where he threatened to kill this person obviously, you know, John Sweeney has this as part of the programme and when he confronts Tommy about it, Tommy says, ha, I can prove that I did not send that text because I sent it myself to fake it because we're all in cahoots and ah, ha, ha. Um, This is like, that's basically what he's got. That's the whole thing into an hour. It's like, uh, it's really, really nothing there, really. He kind of made John Sweeney look a bit embarrassing. Now, it if you look at it for the content, it's it's, it's nothing. Uh, if you look at it for the, like, the techniques that he uses, it's everything. You know, he's got this kind of the fake news media, him as a victim, exposing the truth is another key narrative, which I forgot to mention earlier, uh, showing up a figure of like in- immense wealth uh he has his, the the main set pieces is, is him agreeing to an interview with john sweeney in which he turns the tables and shows him clips from what is gathered and undercover footage and turns the questions back on him and i have to admit it's really satisfying to see john sweeney squirm because you have that kind of natural impulse when like someone who's on the telly is famous probably earning loads of money uh is a very influential figure is made to look like a bit of a prick. Uh, it's a very satisfying, like, guttural feeling, um, and um, a, a lot of a lot of this kind of stuff that he he has a lot of talking to camera. He very hilariously uh, interviews uh, Tom Dupre, who is uh, the leader of Generation
1: Identity, or the the ex leader of Generation Identity,
0: who got fired when his employers found out about his like kind of political hobby. Um, all these kind of victim narratives that are brought out. Um, of course he can't actually say he doesn't actually say what tom Prey actually was fired for tom dupre kind of like kind of says i had some controversial opinions about immigration uh yeah no shit tom it was really controversial uh and you also led a movement like that's that's another step even further um but obviously they say controversial opinions not leader of fascist movement um the left should watch it um like to get some, like, kind of idea of, of why people kind of, like, adhere, like, emotionally adhere to this guy. Um, Panorama has got, last time I checked, it's probably more now, around 600,000 views on YouTube, universally liked. There's about 1,000 dislikes, 44,000 likes, which is, like, a huge, like, you know, kind of positive result.
1: The most, of course, amazing example of... Toy Robertson kind of uh, hoisting himself by his own petard in terms of uh, propaganda was at a demonstration in Salford. Panadrama was trying to load. Uh, He had to play, uh, in lieu of anything else, his own wedding video for a crowd of, of a few thousand, maybe people it's a prime example of
0: what we've been banging on about which is the the foundation of like an effective relationship with an audience of thousands uh uh, truly a bizarre kind of decision to broadcast one of your most like kind of intimate moments uh special moments to a crowd of like four thousand
1: stellar drinking you know like tommy robinson fans um yeah i mean like uh Robinson has the kind of Groucho Marx problem, doesn't he? That he uh, he won't respect anybody who actually is his fan. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're going to have an interview between Alex and some people from London Anti-Fascists. And
0: now I'm joined by uh, B and Jerry from London Anti-Fascists. Uh, we're going to talk a bit more about Tommy Robertson and what Laugh have been doing this year. Um, welcome. Hello. Cheers. So, yeah, the reason I wanted to talk to Laugh about about Tommy, um, is I mean you you have been like organising against him for like since you basically started. And one of the biggest London anti fascist actions was uh, against him when he was in his EDL incarnation when he came to Tower Um and I, I guess first of all I think I think I don't think Anti-Fascists have had a very good uh, have managed to grapple with like a response to him um, in any kind of meaningful way. He's still kind of like the white whale of the anti fascist movement, is that no one's really nailed him, and I just wondered um, why you think that was. Um, uh, what 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 has Tommy done which has given him this kind of status as like an untouchable in like the far right?
2: I think that why he, why he's hard to pin down is because he's always jumping, but be, like between his to his next uh, fad, like he's jumping onto his next thing, so we can't pin him down. He had the EDL, Pegida, and then Rebel Media, and he had his all. He has his whole stint about being an activist journalist, uh, and that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I,
0: I yeah, I definitely see that. I the it's interesting to see that the his like his attempt at Pegida wasn't so successful. It was like a few demonstrations in like a car park in Birmingham that got maybe a hundred people max, if that. And he, I think he must have made a conscious decision to like, kind of. Reinvent himself in some ways, and I I think that's very clever. And it's it's unlike a lot of what his like far right contemporaries have been able to do. Like for example, Paul Paul Golding of Britain First has no one really knows what he's doing nowadays. He's basically irrelevant. Irrelevant now he's got banned off face. Now Britain First has been banned off Facebook. He's like they've they've lost a lot of their kind of their voice and their influence. And it's it's really interesting how he's managed to like toe the line into that grey area of of being a journalist claiming to be against, not to be racist, cha- openly challenging his opponents to find something that he said that's racist and kind of like trading on that ambiguity. And I, I yeah, I guess we, I think as a movement, we do really need to talk about him because he's, he's unlike the DFLA or unlike Generation Identity, he's very much avoided being pegged as, uh, as a far-right activist, as a fascist, mm-hmm. however much anti-fascists want to pin that label on him. And it's, yeah.
3: I mean, yeah, I agree. I think I think it's difficult. I mean, I wouldn't even go as far as to say he was he, he is a uh, fascist. I don't even know how I feel personally about that. Like it's because obviously like the discre- like like um, our definition of fascism um, has changed um, over the um, many decades. Um, and I think he is actually like a key uh, uh, person in in as, as a key example of someone who is actually like made it difficult for us to be able to pin him down in that sense. And I think um one thing that he did that was very clever was um coming out of the EDL. Um after failing to get Pegida off the ground and and, and that being a big um sort of defeat for him. He he like you said, he reinvented himself um under this like new kind of label as um as a journalist. Uh, and and also he kind of has been um and, and also denouncing his uh denouncing his um uh ties and his uh, loyalty to the EDL um who he, he i remember like listening to this like one um press release that he did where he talked about the EDL being full of Nazis and how that was that was an aspect to the EDL that he that he always um uh tried to um uh, challenge and he wasn't proud of that aspect of the EDL, uh, which which make which makes it easy for him to kind of say to his wider audience and, and for his followers to t- turn around when everyone calls him a racist um, or or a fascist to turn around and say well no he's not a racist he's not a fascist because he actually denounced his uh, part in the EDL he denounced the he denounced the extreme the more extreme elements of the EDL and that's really worked in his favour and on top of that as well he has like managed to pick up on um, some <clears throat> some like I guess I don't know how else to describe it other than I wouldn't say like liberal, but I, I'd say actually sorry. Uh, uh, the words I'm thinking of is kind of the more like classic, uh, classic libertarian arguments around things like free speech, which the left hasn't been able to to give a um, a, a robust enough answer to. Um, because, like for me, uh, coming from the um, uh, part of the movement that I come from, you know, I, I see myself as a revolutionary. And I see myself um, as a radical. Um, and I, I, I'm also not against free speech. I'm not, I'm not against the idea of free speech. I think, I think, you know, in an ideal world, in, in a system where it isn't one, uh, not the capitalist system, etc., we would all have, uh, free speech. Um, but, but the way that he's been able to kind of capitalize off of this, like that, that that's not what we're, he's, he's been able to kind of capture, um, an aspect of, uh, the, the population who. Uh, who feels as though their rights are constantly being impeded on by by these you know rad lib, radical liberals or like these you know um you know lefty snowflakes or whatever who are trying to like um uh, 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 stop their free speech etc and he's been able to like really kind of capture that audience um and and in a way that makes it difficult for us to actually have a response that is coherent and actually can challenge it coherently um i mean that's one explanation <laughs> i'm sure there's like more but
0: it's also cuz he's like he like is quite willing to like, unlike a lot of the far right, he's quite willing to flip between different issues. So like, there was a whole thing about Soldier X that happened recently that people might not have been people read or because he didn't really catch fire, but then he very quickly moved on to Brexit, and then he very he he he, he can move on and then it was the uh, it's the issue of so called um, Islamic Muslim rape gangs and stuff, which he's been very good at just flitting between things. And it's very hard to like pin him down to like a specific issue where we can, where anti-fascists can like kind of just nail him on that thing because he's like expanded his net. And I also think it's interesting how instead of like being like conciliatory towards like the left, he's purposely, and I think like a lot like how Steve Bannon and Donald Trump were successful. He's maintained this extremely antagonistic pose to the, like the liberal left establishment, like he invades newspaper offices or he like gets his camera out at every opportunity and films people. And, and, it's kind of trading off that like kind of antagonistic populist populist kind of moment that we're in which is really clever as well
3: i mean yeah i think i think i think you've yeah you've hit on something there as well that i was going to kind of elaborate on because I think the one the one like the one big difference if if we're going to think about it in terms of like the left versus Tom Robinson for example um the one big difference between Tom Robinson and the rest of us in 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 the left um and particularly the more kind of radical um left is that he very much um acts as an individual it is about his own self um kind of building up his own persona he's he's a massive careerist He's, he's interested in like he's not interested in I don't think he—he he doesn't strike me as someone who's interested in building a really meaningful movement. I think it's all about him. Whereas, like um, the people who are in opposition to him, we are interested in building a collective uh, 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 movement that doesn't—that doesn't kind of like um, uh, what's the word? Uh, celebrate and uh, overly celebrate and, and grandize like individuals.
0: I think an interesting thing that's happened recently is this. This October thirteenth uh, mobilization that LaF were involved in, along with other groups, and I just wondered if you could speak to that because, although although the the unity demonstration wasn't like specifically opposing, well, first of all, could you quickly explain what what that, what happened for listeners who might not not be not might not have it on their radar, um, but also like just speak to why you think that was a success and if it points to any any new ways of doing anti-fascism or or what avenues that opens up for anti-fascist because I mean it wasn't a, specifically a, opposing Tommy but Tommy comes from like a football hooligan kind of DFLA, FLA, EDL kind of background and I just wondered what, what you thought of that
2: Yeah, well um, the DFLA the Democratic Football Ads Alliance is basically like a far right split from the, uh, p- the Football Ads Alliance which was like a political project which was meant to be opposing all forms of extremism but basically fell apart after a few months and the DFLA came on the scene. They had a a big demonstration planned to march through central London and uh, we mobilised with Women's Strike, Plan C, other various uh, feminist and left-wing groups, anti-fascist groups to uh, block them, which we ended up doing. We mobilised just over a thousand people separately to the Stand Up To Racism demonstration. and blocked them at Palmal and yeah, I th- I think it was I think it was successful because we we showed that we can we've come a long way this year in mobilising large numbers of uh militant activists uh who are prepared to um stop the far right by any by any means necessary. I mean
0: And you, you specifically there um opposed the unity demonstration to uh, standards of racism's rally and what what do you think was done differently to to them that made it like a more successful mobilization
2: well, i was it was more successful because obviously we we didn't collaborate with the with the state or the cops, and we went out with a specific purpose of blocking their demonstration and denying them a platform and that's the essence of anti fascist uh politics which stand up to racism and the other SWP fronts in the in, in the past haven't been able to do like back in the 70s they had a huge rally uh, while the NF marched through central London and later on NF gangs ra- ran around places like Tower Hamlets and Bethnal Green uh, attacking um, Bengali Muslims and other minorities um, instead of Actually, going out, going out, confronting them, stopping them, and uh, dealing them like decisive and humiliating blows by denying them a platform. Uh,
0: yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. And but I think it's also important to to say that the SDVP and and their and their groups are are like a shadow of what they were in the seventies, right? Like they, to be fair to to them, they 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 were doing a lot of confrontational work in in that decade and. And you know there's a reason why there was a a regular swp uh paper sale on brick lane it's because there was an nf paper sale on brick lane and it was indirect and they managed to like with in combination with AFA and red action and other groups they managed to smash get rid of the nf from basically anywhere in london uh, obviously over a few decades but obviously they're not they're not doing that anymore it's a it's a kind of different organization which i think we need to kind of take into account when we're talking about them as well they've kind of they've kind of Lost a lot of their strength and power, and yeah, you're right. I just wondered as well. I just wanted to follow up. Why? Why do you think it's important that anti-fascists don't don't collaborate with the state? What? What? Maybe I could open this up to both of you. Why? Why is that an important factor in anti-fascism? Right.
2: Uh, well, I mean, it it in its most basic forms, um, collaborating with the state and giving them allow like collaborating collaborating with them and encouraging them. Uh, to take on powers that um silence and uh combat the far right can just as easily be used against uh the left in those kind of situations because we know the state isn't neutral it's uh it's run by and for the uh the ruling class and they will always see the left as a threat.
0: I think it's really important to keep in mind that um the kind of policies and the kind of like um like kind of concrete actions that tommy robinson advocates for is really just an intensification of what the state is already doing in many communities in the uk it's just even more border cops even more like policing of muslim communities and expansion of things like prevent and and other kind of anti-extremism kind of programs that the state runs um so yeah i think i think those although tommy likes to butter himself as like an enemy of the state um He's really like just like another arm, like an extra extra arm of the state, really. Mm,
3: um, for sure. Oh, can I just add something quickly as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. Just um, yeah. I mean, because anti-fascists and <coughs> um, particularly um, militant anti-fascists, while while we while while we do come from like a broad um, spectrum of like various political tendencies, um, we are all like uh, like one of our main, particularly like London and anti-f- London anti-fascists, for example, one of our main um, core like principles is that we have a working class orientation and we recognize that uh the state and um is 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 not there to represent the working class and therefore collaborating with the state is never in our interests what well, do you think
0: there's some of the av- avenues we can anti-fascists can start exploring to start um thinking about countering tommy robinson in a, in a more coherent way is there anything you can think of that 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 we could do or?
2: well i mean there there's there's, there's a lot, obviously. Um, Uh, Like combating the far right and the kind of ideas that Tommy Robinson uh, espouses and thrives off for his livelihood are racism, etc. And the way we combat that is by organising the multiracial working class and going into communities and um, trying to foster a sense of unity between working class communities and combating that kind of uh racial prejudice that there is um amongst those
3: i mean but it's important to consider to take into account though that a lot of people who aren't white also support on robinson like yeah, he, he he does touch yeah like yeah. A, uh, he's managed to actually um uh, galvanize support from various uh, uh ethnicities as well as like white uh, you know the, what what you think of as like the white working class in the UK um and that's important and I, and I guess I mean echoing what you just said like the way to combat that is through uh, re- uh is through showing <laughs> people that it's that we should be united as a class and not through and not be divided through like uh uh racial segregation racial bounds etc um yeah, I mean, to, I've actually often I've I've been thinking about like Tommy Robinson for over a year now. Unfortunately, he haunts my dreams, and um, <laughs> and, and I have I have if if I can be uh, if I can yeah. Be a bit candid. Um, I have often thought that the only way, <laughs> sometimes, like when I'm being a bit more defeatist, the only way to get rid of him is just to expose some kind of like noncery that he's done or something. I just, I genuinely feel like, like you know, like if it comes out that he's a pedo or something, that might be the only way we can actually bring him down amongst his like his followers. But I think even then, even then, there'll be like a group, <laughs> a hardcore group of uh, of his supporters that will just that will just not back down. Um, I mean, yeah, you've got a
0: point, like we haven't really contended with like a proper Mm. cult of personality around a specific far right activist. And uh, there's there. And we have we haven't really had that in this country. I mean, it was, I mean, Oswald Mosley tried to foster it. But thankfully, thankfully, really, since then, all the like kind of prominent far right leaders have been like kind of very unappealing. You think kind of think of like twitchy eyed Nick Griffin, or like, you know, John (laughs) Tyndall or something. They're like, they're not particularly like kind of compelling figures. Um, and they can't be construed haven't and, and Tommy's kind of got the full package as it was, he's kind of like you know, he, he looks kind of normal, and he he's he's, he's very good at kind of like um, portraying himself as, as as someone speaking up for some kind of like silent silent kind of like majority of the British public, um, and obviously you know, he has his baggage like the EDL is something he will never be able to live down but um, people people are, I think the public are much more willing to forgive that than say like a history, uh, like a past in, like, kind of a Islamic extremist tradition, like, as, as portrayed in the media is. Um, so, yeah, I I think that's the kind of... It's a tricky one as well, because he's... I think going forward, he's going to be the... He's still the guy. And, yeah, we still haven't got an answer. Um, and as much as I would like to, like, portray him as a paedophile, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not going to work unless he's, like, actually, like... Actually, actually is a paedophile, which, you know... <clears throat> Um I also thought it's interesting this year as well how he's kind of started pivoting towards a, like a like an anti anti left position M- much more than so that was in the e d l where it was the left was kind of like allowing a lot of this stuff to go on, but the target was still muslims basically um and we saw that this year when he rocked up at the anti fascist conference um and called everyone communists and got very sad and um and also. Even on the free Tommy demonstrations, where there was the attack on the trade unions, the attack on the RMT, and on bookmarks, this this movement is taking a much more anti anti left kind of kind of viewpoint. Um, yeah, so I just wondered what you thought about that.
2: Well, one of the one of the notable things about um, Tommy turning up at the uh, AFN national conference was uh, when he uh, turned up and started. Um, uh, den- denigrating, denigrating the the name yeah, Mehmet well, of Mehmet Aksoy. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um. He Mema Aksoy um, was a Kurdish freedom fighter he, from from London. Um, he was, he's Kurdish, but yeah, he died in Rojava Yeah. And why
0: was that important? Why do you think that was an important kind of like
2: error on his part? Well, I mean, it, it it exposes him for for what he really is. I mean, if you're peddling this kind of like anti-islamic extremist uh viewpoint and then you go and like denigrate the name of uh a Kurdish Ipiga fighter who uh fought ISIS and then claim that it's okay because he was a communist and communism has killed more people than ISIS it's it's just it shows that he's not he doesn't actually care about about the the politics of the situation he's only in it for himself I mean that's that's why he, he he'll always he keeps out competing other far right leaders who commit to a specific political project like this like the likes of um Paul Golding.
0: We also saw that interesting, we also saw that when um uh Jim Matthews was on trial or was, was going through the legal process and I don't know if people know Jim Matthews went to I don't know what is alleged and what isn't alleged, but he is he was accused of going going to fight uh, uh in rojava um and uh there was a there was a real like confusion in the, in the, on the in the FLA group forums where they're like this we should support this vet this veteran who went out to fight ISIS and then more people come in and say no he's a communist we can't support a communist and it's a real point of like weakness for them actually i think and yeah i think that 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 might be a, a route i don't know what do you think be
3: it could be it could be but also it's a uh... It's a tough one because, because also we need to, because what, what we also need to, to, to actually challenge him, particularly on the streets, is numbers. Like, I mean, we've been saying that for the last year or so. Um, we need to have much bigger numbers. And we, we need to be able to actually, I suppose, like, in a sense, rebuild um, working class anti fascism in London and and in like the UK, uh, and actually draw much bigger numbers out on the streets. Um, and I think that's one way to legitimise um, his uh, his position, not just in, not just to him, but in the eyes of his followers. Um, but for that, obviously, in terms of going down the route of exposing the hypocrisy around like the uh, around his position on like or or on the far right's position on um, like left wing fighters to go out to uh, fight in like with the uh, yeppega for example, is that uh, we, we obviously need like we need to be able to convince the wider public of that. I mean, it means it, it needs to be a fairly like mainstream, winnable argument in my in my uh, in my opinion. Um, but I do think it's going in that way. I mean, I do think that there there does seem. to... I am surprised often. I actually like. It's it's interesting because I kind of see like in in I've I've seen uh, like debates and things happen where like the YPG comes up and it feels like there is like a a, a large like section of like the UK, for example, that actually does support um, them on the on the basis that they go out and, and they and they're fighting ISIS. But I think I think it's become a little bit more. Um, it, it gets more complicated again when it comes to the question of. Um, uh, it gets very political around like who's going out because like you know three four three years ago um, people who were initially going out there and it was like uh, made public who were going out there were like uh, you know ex uh, you know British soldiers etc who who weren't particularly like left wing who weren't partic- who some even had like right leaning right leaning sentiments and um, whereas obviously that milieu has like changed drastically in the last like. Two three years with more of the IFB going out there who are who are explicitly going out there to to join like um, communist and anarchist uh, groupings out there.
0: Just to finish up, I, I kind of want to talk a bit quickly about kind of the the new group on the on the anti-fascist scene, which is of course Flaff, uh, Football Lads and Lasses Against Fascism, um, and and they've done some interesting stuff so far in in that they've kind of been the been the ones who, like directly attack. Tommy Robinson's identity as a football hooligan and attack his like kind of like uh legitimacy and, and, uh, and kind of heritage within, within that kind of scene. Um, and they recently mobilized kind of semi separately. I couldn't really work out on the day itself. They were kind of a bit independent of the uni demo, but also kind of in coordination. Um, and I just wondered, uh, yeah, I guess I just wondered where you, where you see that kind of thing going and, and what, what anti-fascists can do to support them and you know, kind of coordinate with them going forward.
3: I mean, I think I think Flaff is a great um, <laughs> like intervention in sort of in like in the last like, considering like, the last um, few years, I'd say of like anti-fascism. Um, like it, fe- it feels like with a lot of I feel I feel like sometimes like the the, the left um, and the, the the militant left and the radical left can be a little bit inwards looking and not. And I feel like sometimes we can kind of um, forget that actually we are. We are part of the working class. And we're trying to engage in that, um, and I think that FLAF are really great in that they actually like, they actually want to be organising like on football terraces. They want to be organising in working class areas. They're saying that like, yeah, you can be a, you can be a f- football fan, but we want to kick like racism and fascism out of football, which there is like a, a long history of um, of like the far right being able to organise um, fairly successfully within um, a football culture and like working class football culture, et cetera. Um, and, and those spaces so I think um, I think they're a great contribution um,
0: yeah It's interesting that Tommy is already trying to portray them as like radical communists and you know that, that kind of thing And but I think that's because he he's genu- genuinely scared about what they represent which is like you know football fans standing up to him in his like home turf um, and we saw that particularly recently with this video coming out of which he quickly tried to delete off the internet of him at a Luton march being challenged by a bunch of Flaff and then screaming for his bodyguards when <laughs> when they don't like what he's saying yeah. um, and it's those kind of moments that really kind of get to his core like screaming where's my bodyguards is not something a football hooligan does mm-hmm. in any kind of capacity it's like <laughs> you know Um. and I think that's really yeah that was a really interesting moment and hopefully we can we can get more moments like that maybe his like constant live streaming is going to be his downfall like he mocked Mehmet Askoy on a live stream. He shouted, screamed for his bodyguards on a live stream. He, you know, he was like caught like kind of swearing at his wife on a live stream. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, it's these kind of moments that like, you know, could, could that like, kind of have a cumulative effect and bring him down.
2: Well, there's the hub. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Gary, do you have anything to add? I, I, I think, I think Fluff had, have, have, uh, kind of, come out of a, a good, a good place to be honest because there's been a a growing, far-right presence on the football terraces and they've kind of started to pull the rug from under far-right groups and uh, far-right uh, activists on the football terraces like with Tommy Robinson, like with the DFLA um, and I think that's that's more of what we need, we need working class activists going into every, every part of um, society and uh, fighting fascism in all of its forms everywhere that it uh, comes out of.
0: Mm. and on that positive note we'll leave it there thank you very much for for talking and thank you for uh, having us bye bye bye
1: (laughs) that's all for this show we'll be back next week with a discussion of fascism and neo-fascism um if you've enjoyed the show please do follow us on twitter we're at 12 rules for what you can really help us out by um retweeting this episode, retweeting past episodes, and generally engaging with us on there. We're up for uh, more or less any kind of discussion. Um, Yeah, I'd say more or less any kind of discussion.
0: The more you engage, the less we do these
1: begging appeals to be engaged. Precisely. That is their... Do it, do it. it, Your main payment. Do it, do it, do it, do it. See you there.
0: Okay. (laughs) Twelve (laughs) (laughs) rules.